In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's the summer of 2007, and we were just moving into the uh, rectory at St. Mary the Virgin in Manteca in the Central Valley. And we uh, noticed this uh, decorative hedge between the rectory's property and the neighbor's. And it was a beautiful uh, hedge that uh, divided these two properties. I was out in the yard in the summer as it had really blossomed and grown and was walking with my toddler at the time. And uh, she and I noticed that uh, there was fruit inside of this hedge. And upon closer inspection, we realized that they were grapes. And we dug in and we cut some of the grapes off and we ate them and they were small and bitter. And I noted this to uh, the master gardener of our parish, uh, John Boggs, and John said, oh, those aren't small and bitter grapes. Those are beautiful uh, grapes and really nice grapevines. They just need to be pruned. You have bad fruit because nobody's taking care of these vines. He said, if you prune them at the end of the summer, you'll have amazing fruit next year. I said, I've got no idea how to prune a grapevine. He said, well, give me a call and I'll stand there and point and you'll cut. So that's what we did, and I filled several truckloads uh, worth of branches, and suddenly I didn't have a decorative hedge anymore. I had one bare vine going along the top of the fence rail and a few branches. And the next summer, just as John had promised, we had bunches of grapes that were as tall as my toddler and just about as heavy. We filled every flat surface of the house with grapes. We couldn't give them away fast enough. The bunches were so numerous, and they were... Uh, a luscious and uh, sweet fruit. This is the promise that the Lord makes to us. He desires to build and plant a garden uh, that is bearing fruit. That is, that is bearing his faith, his hope, and his love. And he would ask us to participate with him. He does this out of his love for the people, especially his love for the poor and needy. And if we participate with him in caring for the poor and needy, then we abide in his love. This is always his plan. This is the plan that Isaiah mentions in chapter 41. He says, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none, the Lord provides it. And so the Lord is speaking about the material uh, provision of water and of trees. Trees that bear fruit and provide shade. That is the surface literal reading here of his love, his compassion for the poor and needy. He provides water and shade. But there's a deeper allegorical meaning, which is that he provides the Holy Spirit to transform us, to feed our hearts and our minds, and he would provide the shade of his mercy. He would give us mercy, though we don't deserve it. And he would provide it in abundance and in variety, um, adding beauty to our lives. And so this is the Lord's plan, and the prophet Isaiah reminds the nation of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah of this plan to provide for the poor and needy, because that's why they're suffering. They're suffering, and the provision of God is being removed from them, because they're selfish, because they're seeking to serve themselves first, rather than seeking to serve uh, the poor and the needy and those to whom the Lord calls them. They're suffering those natural consequences. Those natural consequences are uh, brought in very stark contrast here in John's Gospel, chapter 15. Jesus is still in the upper room where we've been with him now for a couple of weeks. You remember that Judas has left, right? The, Satan has entered him. You remember that Peter has promised that he would... Stand by Jesus, but Jesus has reminded him of this stark reality of his own falling away. 
And he spends several chapters on teaching them what it means to abide in him, what it means to live in him. And he takes this garden analogy and he makes it even the more radical to say that not only are we dwelling in a garden, but we are parts of the garden. We are um, living vines and branches that are joined with Christ and that share with his grace and mercy. We have the very sap of God and the Holy Spirit flowing through us. And that if we participate in his faith, hope and love and bearing that fruit, um, then we will be properly pruned and groomed so that we're able to, to respond to his love. But if we choose selfishness, if we choose self-centeredness and the death that goes with it, then the Lord will allow us to have that death. He will allow us to have the kind of fruitless lives that lead to death and suffering and uh, to being burned and destroyed. Um, it, the, this, is, this is not a punishment that the Lord adds on to our sin. It's a natural consequence of removing ourselves from the faith, hope, and love of God. When we remove ourselves from his life and love, surely death will follow. And so Jesus says, come and participate with me in the Father. And this, this sap, this Holy Spirit that, that promises this life and, and abiding with him is a, a radical abiding because he's saying that we're going to be in him in the same way that he's in the Father. He's drawn this figure eight that we've talked about over and over. The Father abides in the Son as the Son abides in the believer. The believer abides in the Son as the Son abides in the Father. That's radical, that we would abide in the Son the same way that He abides in the Father. And He says this is accomplished when we keep His commandments. And of course, His commandments, we summarized at the beginning of the service, are um, very complex, right? Right? Very complex? No. They're very simple, right? Love God and love your neighbor. See how complex that was? Love God and love your neighbor. What does it mean to love somebody? It means to lay down your life for them, to sacrifice for them, right? To say, what is it that they want first? That's what faith is, right? Faith is to say, okay, what is the Lord doing? What is His purpose? What is His direction? When I follow it, that's faith, right? Hope and love are when I seek um, the, the love that, that God has for my neighbor. And I say, what is He trying to do for my neighbor? What's good for them? How can I participate in God's love for them? So He says, if you keep my commandments, if... You keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So again, he's saying that our relationship with Him will be the same as His relationship with the Father. That's amazing. That's incredible. And he says that when that happens, His joy will be in us. That is His joy, right? His grace, His mercy. His joy isn't a reward that the Lord gives us. It's not, oh, you did a good job. Here, have a little bit of joy. Oh, you did a wonderful job. Here, have a little bit of joy. Joy is found in participating in the faith, hope, and love of Christ. When we love God, when we love our neighbor, we experience real, deep, and abiding joy. And that joy is something that isn't like happiness. It isn't um, that kind of uh, will-o'-the-wisp, fly-by-night, come-and-go uh, kind of an experience. Joy is deep and abiding. Joy is something that we can experience in grief. We can experience it in poverty and distress and danger. The joy of God is, is with us when we abide in His love and we keep His commandments and we bear that fruit. And St. Peter reminds us that we're not these mindless branches and vines. This is only an allegory. It's a beautiful one and it's necessary, but it's, it's only that. We're not called to be a branch. We're not called to be a plant. We're called to be people, right? And people have minds and we have hearts and we make decisions and we have 
bodies. And St. Peter is reminding us of this. He's saying we have to tune our minds. We have to seek the unity of God in our minds. We have to, to have a mind that is shaped by the Holy Spirit, shaped by this sap of grace and mercy, of abiding in His love. And when that happens, we will have, as he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, unity of mind. Unity of mind with God, right? Our minds will be unified. We begin to see the world. We begin to see one another the way that God sees. That we'll have sympathy, right? That we'll have this love and compassion for the people around us. That we'll have brotherly love, right? That we'll have this desire for good things for the people around us. That we'll have tender hearts and a humble mind, not putting ourselves above other people, but seeing ourselves as lowly and submitting to God in service. And so when we allow that faith, hope, and love, when we allow that joy to shape our minds, we begin to see the world and respond in a radically different way. And we respond in the way that God would have us respond, not responsive to the people around us, which is very important. He warns us against giving evil for evil, reviling for reviling. So what does he mean by that? He means that I am not acting in response to the way people the way people treat me right i don't treat others the way that they treat me let me say that one more time we do not treat others the way they treat us if we do that they become our masters if i say oh you said an evil word so i'll say one back you cut me off so i'll cut you off you said something bad to me i'll say something bad to you then they become our masters they're in control of us in our lives and we've submitted to evil. And we will receive the consequences for that evil. It's very clear. We've chosen evil, and that's what we'll get. If, however, we choose to participate in God's love, despite how people treat us, in other words, we treat them the way that we would want to be treated, more than that, we treat them the way God has treated us, right? With compassion, giving His life though we were unrighteous, then we participate in His love and grace. So we've got to decide. We have minds to be made up. He says, Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. The reason for the hope that is in you. So we've got to be ready when somebody says, Why would you treat them that way? When they were so rude to you, we've got to be ready to answer. We've got to be ready to say, because God first loved me, because God has, has sacrificed for me, because God has been compassionate for me, though I didn't deserve it. He gave me good fruit and shade, though I didn't deserve it. And my calling in receiving that blessing is to bless. So I receive from God and I respond to everyone in my path the way that God has responded to me. Not the way that these people treat me, but the way that God has treated me. And I make up my mind to do that. I decide to bless, to seek peace, to love life, to see good, to hope, to be gentle, to have respect, to have a good conscience, to practice good behavior. Is St. Peter being unclear? Is that a good enough list for you? To bless, to obtain blessing, to love life, to see good, to seek peace, to pursue it, to be zealous for what is good, to suffer for righteousness, to be blessed, to have no fear, 
to make a defense for the hope that is within us, to treat others with gentleness and respect and a good conscience, to respond to those who revile us with good behavior. That's quite a list. And when we do that, he says we will be brought into God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. When we decide to be in the vine, when we decide to be in that sap of the Holy Spirit, when we decide to bear that good fruit of faith, hope, and love, the Lord restores our hearts and minds. He orders us according to His will. He gives us the strength and the courage that we need to respond so that our lives are producing that magnificent fruit so that we are no longer decorative hedges. We are no longer big green bushes that do nothing, but we are fruit-bearing. We are amazing in the love and the faith and the hope that God would bring forth in our hearts and our minds and in our lives, and we will rejoice at the harvest of His coming again. We will give thanks for Him and give thanks for all that He has done for us. May we give thanks this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.